You know, Jonathan told me that y'all guys were going to start a series on the Psalms, and so I get the, the joy of actually being able to start this out and choosing probably what is my favorite Psalm. And However, it, it is a little bit of a nervous thing because most all of you know this Psalm, right? Not even just the Christian church, but most of the world is probably familiar with Psalm 23, like the Lord's Prayer, right? We know this. This is one of David's greatest hits, right? So, and I don't know what your relationship is with this psalm, but my first memory of it was my grandmother had a cross stitch of it that she put on her, like, wall. And so I just kind of always associated it with something that grandmothers really love, you know, or or something like you would find in a Hallmark card, the Lord is my shepherd. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to attempt to rescue it from the Hallmark card, right? Because even though it's very familiar to us, I hope that we need to hear and learn and maybe relearn it all over again. So before we kind of dive into this great psalm, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us a psalm that we can memorize. And so, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us. Father, this microphone helps people to hear my voice, but it does not help us to hear your voice, and it is your voice that we need to hear So I pray that you give us your spirit. Father, I pray that we see your son, Jesus, who is the true good shepherd, and that we leave loving him, worshiping him, trusting him, and obeying him more. Father, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite novels of all time is called All the Light We Cannot See. Got the Pulitzer Prize. Check it out at your local, you know, bookstore, whatever, or Amazon. But in this book, there's this girl named Marie. She's this young girl who is going blind due to cataracts. And her father works at the Museum of Natural History in Paris. And this all takes place during World War II, when the Nazis are beginning to invade France. And he is afraid for his daughter's life because she's going blind. And so what he does, he's also a woodcarver, is that he basically crafts and creates this miniature wooden model of their neighborhood. And he wants her to trace with her finger all the different streets and alleyways so that she can know it by heart. So that when the darkness comes and when the enemies are surrounding, she can actually walk through the real thing because she's memorized it. And I think that's what Psalm 23 actually is. It is this psalm that is so well known, and our Father has given it to us, because He wants us to have it memorized. He wants us to know it through and through, so that when we go through the dark valley, we can know that He is with us. Now, it's been, you know, a very hard last few years. I preached on this psalm, February, I looked it up, February 2nd, 2020, Pacific Crossroads, right before everything kind of happened, you know, and um, it's been a hard last few years. It's been very difficult, and I remember how it kind of all started out uh, in January of 2020. I got the news, right, that Kobe Bryant had died. We all got that news, and this is a kind of a crazy coincidence. I had tickets to the Lakers Trailblazers game uh, that was the first game back since Kobe died. I didn't even mean for that to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen, but I got to go to that game when everyone was there, and there was the memorials outside Staples Center, and I will call it Staples Center. I refuse to call it anything else, right? And there's like, you know, there's like 
there's like candles out there and there's like pictures of Kobe and his daughter and there's a giant banner across the Staples Center that is Jesus' second beatitude. It says, blessed are the brokenhearted for they will be comforted. And who would have known that right after that would come some, maybe the two of the hardest years to hit our city and many other places as well. And it begs the question, well, that's nice, but is the Lord really with us in every circumstance? And in Psalm 23, we can kind of imagine that David is kind of writing this song, you know, like in an afternoon, he's out in the fields with some sheep. He pops out the song. He's like, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be like reckless love in oceans, right? We're just going to pop it out. It's going to be popular. And he just kind of throws it out and put it in the Bible. But that's not how it happened. Many scholars believe that this probably came at the very end of David's life. That he's composing the psalm as he looks out over his life and he's seen all that he has gone through. Not only that he has faced a giant, but that he has been on the run for Saul for 13 years. That he has actually had through many different military defeats and victories. That he actually, (laughs) moral failure, the death of his own son Absalom. And he's looking out over his life and he is composing this psalm and he is saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I can trust him. And I think that that psalm, this psalm, has come through really deep doubts and many dark valleys that David has had to walk through, that the church and God's people have had to walk through. And underneath this psalm is that real question, can I really trust you? Can I really trust you? Because if we're honest, we ask that when the promises that God has given to us don't seem to be working, or the circumstances in our life seem to run counter to the promises that God has given to us. Can I trust you, Lord, when my friend is diagnosed with cancer? Can I trust you when the bills are coming in and the debt is piling up? Can I trust you when the job interviews are drying out? When it seems as though everything is falling apart? When everyone in my life is sick? Can I trust you, Lord? I don't need a pretty poem on a Hallmark card. I need the Lord's real promises. And I heard one pastor say that simply trusting God did nothing for him. What he needed to trust were specific promises that God had given. And I think that's what Psalm 23 is. It's David saying, these are the specific promises that I am banking my life on, that I have banked my life on, and that God has been faithful to. So what I want to do is I want to look at three of these promises that all come out of Psalm 23. And the first one is that the Lord provides. This is the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I wonder, you know, if you, I'm, not, I'm not a shepherd, um, not in the actual sense. And I wonder if you actually have real sheep like some of the Scottish shepherds do or whatever. Do you think that shepherds individually know all of their sheep by name? Like, do they, I wonder if they name them. Like, you're Ted, you're Bill, you're Larry. You know, like you know them all kind of individually. I doubt it, right? They probably don't even, ca- maybe they count their sheep. I don't know. Sounds like a snooze fest. But right, the idea that like, do shepherds actually know their sheep individually? And what's fascinating about this psalm is that the Heavenly Father actually knows all of us through and through. That he knows, not, he knows every single hair that is on our head. And we might think, you know, God has six billion people that he has to take care of. I mean, John and Kate plus eight couldn't even take care of, like, they were overwhelmed with eight kids. God has six billion. How can he possibly give attention to all of them? But this psalm tells us that the Lord is my shepherd. He knows me. 
I remember, I, you know, we can't really see the stars outside in the sky in LA. I don't know if you can here in Santa Barbara. But I remember being in Yosemite and in Sequoia and looking up and just seeing, basically, you could basically see the Milky Way. And looking out at that sky and saying, the God who made this knows my name. He knows my name. The Lord is my shepherd. And what that means is that the Lord knows every detail about you. He knows not only the hair on your head, he knows what you've been through. He knows your past. He knows why you do the things that you do. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you, if you're married, better than your spouse does. I love doing weddings as a pastor. It's like my pastoral side hustle, right? Like I love doing these weddings and getting to be with people and students and family and friends. And I I try to change up the homily for every person that I, you know, do a wedding for. But I always end it in the same way. I have the bride and the groom standing up there. And I look at at the bride and I say, okay, or I look at the bridegroom and say, you are now joined to your bride. You are one body. Of all human smiles, it is hers that matters most to you now. And of all human tears, it is hers that must concern you most greatly. And I look at the bridegroom and I say the same thing. And the Lord relates to his people as a bridegroom to a bride. He knows every tear that you've ever shed. In fact, Psalm 56 says he keeps it in his bottle. He knows everything that you have been through. Of course, it's true that when we're in trouble, we want God to know us intimately like this. But usually most of us spend our entire lives running away from that kind of intimacy because it scares us. In many ways, we fear the love of God. We fear that love. You know, when I first started out in ministry 10 years or so ago, I, I had this image you know, that I was on a mission from God and that people's biggest problem was that they were prideful. And my job as a pastor was to blow it apart, right? You just, just, just locked and loaded, blues brothers on a mission from God, find out what people's righteousness is, destroy it, right? Because that's people's biggest problem. C.S. Lewis, right? That, that's people's biggest problem. And what I have learned is, while it is true that we are most certainly prideful, uh, what I have learned is that deep down, our deepest problem is that we do not believe that we are loved. Dallas Willard said, we are self-oriented, but often that is caused by the wounds that we have received. If I'm hammering something with a nail and I strike, you know, my thumb, and my, I'm now having a lot of attention on my thumb, why? Because it's in pain. And I think in many ways, that is us. We, we fear and we want to be loved, we long to be loved, but we also run from that love. We run from the love of God. And David has now come to a part in his life where he's saying, I'm tired of running. Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. I trust you because I know that you are good. And I know that you are generous to me. That you see me in all of my pain. C.S. Lewis said, In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, filled, only abundance that desires to give. God has never been in want. He gives in unlimited ways. He delights to do that. He loves to give. He loves to forgive. He loves to give to anyone who will receive from him. For God so loved, he gave. He sees us because he is our shepherd and he provides for us in our needs. But not only that, the Lord also protects. That's the second thing, the Lord protects. David is clinging to the second promise that the Lord will protect him wherever we go. We, we weren't born yesterday. We know how hard life is. We know that the world is hard. It's full of suffering. We're a mass of fears. And then the green pastures that God has been with, he's, he's gone from the green pastures and the green valleys now to the 
dark ravines, the valley of the shadows of death. You know, in the Arab world, there's these things called wadis, uh, which is these kind of like emptied out ravines that shepherds would sometimes have to lead their sheep through. And they were very dangerous areas because they could be filled with bandits or wild animals or the occasional fat flash flood. And this is where the psalmist now finds himself. The rolling green valleys have given away to this dark valley. And he's now asking, can I trust you in this situation? Can I trust you here? Can I trust you in the midst of depression and sadness and darkness and fear? Because it's in those moments when it seems like faith disappears from our sight. But if you look at the psalm and you notice, it actually becomes more personal. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the section before, it was, he leads me. He does this, but now it is you. You do this. You comfort me. It's your staff. God is closer to us sometimes in these situations. You know, who is it, though, that led the sheep into the dark valley in the first place? This is actually what's kind of fascinating. It's the shepherd that leads his sheep into the dark valleys. If you remember in Luke 8, when Jesus is on the shore, and he's looking out, and there's a storm that's kind of coming, and he tells his disciples, he says, all right, get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side, and Jesus leads his disciples into a storm. He knows what he's doing. These were fishermen, they knew how to read the weather. They're like, I don't think we should get in this boat, I don't think this looks very good. Jesus is like, we're getting in the boat, we're going to the other side, and he leads them straight into the storm. He leads them into the very heart of it, and what is it? That Peter cries out as Jesus takes a, uh, takes a nap. He's like, Master, wake up! Do you not care about us? Look what you've done. You've led us into this dark situation. Do you not care about us? What a question, by the way, to ask Jesus. Do you not care about us? But it's fascinating, right? Jesus then, of course, stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves. But that question still hangs over the text. Do you care about us? Actually, later on in the book of Acts, Peter will find himself in another storm. This time he's going to be in prison when a great earthquake comes and he's fallen asleep. He's learned from his master, right? He's fallen asleep and then the angel comes and touches him and says, Peter, wake up for the Lord cares for you. He sees you. Sometimes we go through the dark valley, we can kind of think, God, where were you when all of that was happening? Where were you in these last few years? Where were you when the person close to me died? Where were you when I had to go through this? It doesn't seem like you were very close. Do you not care about us? But yet he's there. He is not left. And it says, he will be with us even into the valley of the shadow of death. You could actually read this in a certain way. You could actually read this as not only in this life, but even when we walk through the courts of death itself. Even when we, that great fear finally comes upon us and we actually have to go through the courts of death, this psalm is saying, yes, even there, God is with us. You know, death really is a monster, right? It's an enemy. The last enemy to be defeated is death, Paul said. And sometimes, if you really think about it, that's the thing that many times, the fear beneath all fears, is that fear of death. But it says, even here, you will be with me. I remember this story about 
this college couple, they were 23, they got married really early on, um, and they had a beautiful wedding and ceremony in the first year together, and then, and then the, big bad, the bad news kind of hits that he has cancer. Uh, he's 24, he has a, the cancer is in his gut, so they take out the large intestine, the cancer goes into remission, but then it comes back in full force, and now his whole body has cancer, and they know what's going to happen. And so the pastor goes into pastor mode, and he's pastoring this young couple, and he's asking them, you know, what, what do they want at the funeral? And the guy says, I have one request. When I'm laid in the casket, I want to be wearing a pink shirt with a Yoda tie. <laughs> and the pastor is like, what? I'm sorry, of all the things, we can sing, come thou fount of every blessing, but what, 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 are you, what do you mean, what are you talking about here? He says, yes, it's a big deal, but I want to have the last laugh. When death comes for me, I want to look it in the face and say, I'm united to a resurrected king and you don't get the last word. You don't get the last laugh. Now, I don't mean to make death in any way some kind of trivial thing, but David is saying here that even death doesn't get the final word, that the Lord protects us from everything, even that. Even that. Over 900 times in scriptures, the Lord says, do not be afraid. David is not saying the Christian will never be afraid. He is saying that those fears, though, can be calmed because we have a shepherd who will guide us even through this. And this is the last promise, and I'm going to read it here, that the Lord pursues. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this. In the midst of anxiety, the Lord gives us a cup that overflows. And notice, where does this feast take place? It says right there in the presence of my enemies, right there in the midst of it. I have this image of like a giant hurricane. We used to get those in, right, in Myrtle Beach when I lived there, the, the Redneck Riviera of South Carolina, right? The, the hurricanes would come in, right? And then there you would have the eye of the storm that would come over this piece right in the midst of it all. And Jesus, the passage here is saying that right there in the middle of it all, God sets up a table right in the presence of our enemies, Right there as the storm of life is swirling around us, God is saying, I can take care of you right here and I can take care of them. Whatever that is, whatever that fear is, be it the devil himself, right? I can take care of those things and I can take care of you right here. I can deal with you. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is my favorite part of the whole psalm. Because throughout this psalm, God has given rest everybody except for two people. He's given rest to everybody except for two people. And these two people are goodness and mercy. They don't get to rest. It says, they will pursue me all the days of my life. They're like twin guardian angels. They're like the energizer bunny that God is saying, keep going and going and going. I want you to pursue them and never stop. They're never allowed to quit. I kind of have the image of the Mandalorian, right? Where he's like at the very beginning where he comes out into the desert scene and he's tracking that person. He's never going to stop. He's never going to give up. He's going to keep pursuing us in the intensity of his love. Why? Because he wants to bring us home. He wants to bring us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we all want a home. We all want a home. 
The, the instinct in our heart is to find a home apart from God our Father. So many of us have built homes that lead to dead ends. Maybe you found, try to find your home in success. If I could just climb that ladder, if I could just get into the next income bracket, if I could just, whatever it may be, I can build a home there and this will be the foundation and it doesn't work. Jesus will say, right, that you built your house on sand. Or maybe we try to build our house on applause. I've definitely seemed to do that. I want everyone to like me, you know. I just, not, I have no, no, no big ambitions, just everyone like me. That's all I want, right? <laughs> right? But the thing is that that ache will also never be satisfied. Maybe we've tried to find our home in intellect or relationships, but ultimately even that is disappointing and it's led to spiritual dead ends. And David has come now to the end of his life and he's realizing it's not worth fighting the love of God. There is only one place that I can find my home. There is only one place that I can trust. Even in the dark valleys, even in death, even when it seems as though he's leading me into suffering and circumstances, this is the God who is my home. This is the God who will not stop pursuing me. You know, I don't really know many of you, unfortunately. I don't know where you are in your own spiritual walk. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years. This is still true. Maybe some of you, you're trying to figure out if you do want to trust this God. Maybe some of you did trust that God in the past and now you've been running away and you don't really know where you stand with him. But it reminds me of this story, um, this guy named Robert Robinson who lived in the 18th century. He was a pastor, but before he became a pastor, he had lived this kind of wild life and he had, he had kind of fallen into some sin and moral failure. So in such a way that he actually ended up wrecking his ministry um, and he left the faith. And one day he is in London and he gets into a carriage, kind of like the like an Uber, you know, he gets into a carriage and there's this woman in there and she has a hymn book with her. And she uh, begins to say, hey, I, you know, I just, I was reading this hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know, it's a real banger. I wanted to read, you know, she starts reading it to him and, uh, and as he listens to it, he begins to weep. He breaks into tears. And the woman is confused. Why, what's wrong? And he said, woman, I'm I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I wrote it many years ago when I was a pastor. And these are his exact words. I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. I would do anything to feel that mercy again. And she looks at him and says, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. Maybe this is the final question. The first question was, can I trust him? But the final one is, have I been running towards him? Or have I been running away from him? Is, can I really trust this God? Jesus will come on the scene in John 10 and will say, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who knows every hair on your head. Are you not more worthy than sparrows? I am the one who will lead disciples into storms. I am the one who will, lead, will go first into that great storm. I am the one who will actually defeat death and break its back. I am the one who is the resurrected king. I am the one who has opened a door that no man can shut. And I am the Lord who has set a table right there in the presence of your enemies and of mine. And he has given us here his feast. 
and he's given us himself. Can I trust you? We say that to a God who on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he took on our fear of forsakenness. He took on our forsakenness. He took on our sin. He took on our pain. He made it his own so that he could be the shepherd who would leads us into life, who leads us into the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever. Don't run any longer. Run towards him. Embrace him and find that he embraces you back. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us in Psalm 23. Lord, I pray that you will be our good shepherd, that you will lead us, Lord, through whatever circumstances we may find ourselves. Lord, there may be here who, those here who hear this, Lord, and there's anger, and there's fear, and there's anxiety. It may seem that you have not showed up. Where have you been when these things have happened? But Lord, I pray that you will draw near to us even now in our grief and in our fear, and that you will show us, Lord, your presence, that you will give us your presence in the body and blood, Lord, that you will give us yourself, and that you will abide in us and remind us of your deep care and compassion. Father, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.